upgrade shift is made possible by Campus Logic, a leading software as a service provider that helps schools change lives by addressing the number one barrier to enrollment, retention, and completion, friction in the funding journey. On today's episode, I am joined by Tom Ellett, Chief Student Experience Officer at Quinnipiac University. As the first CXO in higher education, Tom shares how he has approached paving a new path and learning from others in the customer experience space. We discuss what his job entails, how he enables co-creation with students, and what higher ed can learn from other industries. Let's jump into the discussion now. and welcome to the Higher Ed Shift. I'm your host, Amy Glynn, VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic. Today, I'm joined by Tom Ellett, Chief Student Experience Officer at Quinnipiac University, located in Hampton, Connecticut. Welcome, Tom. Amy, how are you this evening? I am doing great and so, so excited. I have to tell you, I am a bit of a stalker of yours. I saw an article back when you joined Quinnipiac and was just so intrigued and in awe that a college was taking the step to bring a CXO to higher education. So I am super excited. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I am too. You don't get opportunities too often to talk about the kind of work that one does in terms of our space, right? And really looking at the holistic aspect of our role. And so I'm grateful that we had this opportunity to speak tonight. Amazing. Can you just introduce yourself to our audience? First of all, just tell them a little bit about your background. I absolutely can. So I started out, I, I grad, I'm a first-generation college student. I went to a community college. And then from there, I was a transfer student. So I had that experience. I went to Fordham University, lived in the Bronx. And then from there, I decided to uh, stay in higher education and went for an MFA in directing of theater. And I worked at Catholic University for nine years, uh, followed by great opportunity at Syracuse University, where I was the director of residence life for five years, and then recruited to the big city, New York City, where I thought I'd get to do my directing. And I did. I directed the largest drama off-Broadway called Residential Life at NYU for 19 years uh-huh. uh, and had lots of, lots of opportunities there as well uh, outside of the classroom, uh, overseeing most of the student affairs, student-facing uh, aspects. I served as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. While I was there, I got my PhD in Education Leadership Administration and Policy at Fordham University, going back to my alma mater again, and then was recruited to become the first CXO in higher education at Quinnipiac University, where I entered during the COVID in August of 2020. And I have been there ever since. Wow. What a great journey. So you've, you've lived everywhere in New York is what I heard you say. I didn't hear Buffalo. No, not, not West. No. I've been, I grew up in, in the Troy area, Troy, Albany, capital no. district was in uh, Utica, for one year, Syracuse for five, New York City for 19. But I had to go to the nation's capital for a little bit too. So I was there for, for nine years. Very fun. Um, I know I had shared with you, I, I did my undergraduate in the Albany area. My husband's family 
was was in the Bronx when they immigrated, and then then Kev grew up just north of the city. So we're very fond of of that area as well. As you mentioned, you when you joined Quinnipiac were the first CXO or Chief Experience Officer in higher education, and so. Our listeners are in financial aid, enrollment management, and and they may not be familiar with what a CXO does. So what do you do? What's what's in your purview on a day-to-day basis? Oh, what a great question. When I think of CXOs, and we can talk about this a little later about the CXO group that I helped form. CXO is is really a uber title for lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned earlier, very much in the tech space, there's an overlap, I think, between some CXOs and UX, user experience positions. Mm -hmm. And and so for for my role, it's really every touch point outside of the classroom. So from the pre-college entry area and and visitors and, and admissions enrollment kind of trajectory of a, a future student, all the way through their journey of the administrative touch points, the registrar, the bursar, traditional bursar office, mm-hmm. and financial aid, which we have created a one-stop, and I can talk about that as well, to the developmental areas, such as the student affairs components, dining, which is a community development aspect, and then also the supportive services like public safety, veterans affairs, and, and some of those services provided to students. Yeah. So everything outside of the classroom is your domain of experience that that's a lot of space. It's a lot of white space to try and cover. <laughs> well, it's not a solo act here at Quinnipiac. I have a tremendous group of colleagues who I work with that oversee those areas that I mentioned just a moment ago. I love it. So when an institution names the a CXO, and they're the first one to do that. It's really sending a strong message to students, staff, administrators about what Quinnipiac values. And I'm just wondering, what's been the reaction or engagement? What has that engagement been like with students and or staff as you kind of came into this new world, especially considering it was mid-COVID? Yeah. Well, Great question. You know, as I kind of look back at the moment when I came in, I had left a place that I had worked for a long time, very engaged and responsible for logistics for COVID. And then the next day, really that next weekend, I come to Quinnipiac and kind of stuck placed in the middle of their response, right? And what they were doing and how they were approaching it. And so things were working really well with those teams that were organizing response in preparation for the first fall opening during COVID because the institution had closed like many, almost all in March. And so it was the reopening process to a group of students who didn't have closure in their high school experience or closure from the previous year. And so I really tried to take the approach of how could I be visible even though my face was invisible, blocked by the mask. And so I I tried to do some engagement opportunities, certainly outside, created the pods on the quad activity, which was bringing faculty, students, and staff in small groups. And if you've never been to Quinnipiac, 
the campus is absolutely stunning. And one of the key signatures for the campus is our quad. And so utilizing the quad, that historic location for us as an institution, was really important. And so utilizing that for engagement outside because you needed space. And so early on, I would walk around with my mask. I had my Yeti full of goodies with my gloves on and handing out <laughs> things and, and playing games, you know, where you hold the, the word over your head and, and someone has to guess it. Yeah. All of those kind of things were important. And then the other important thing I did pretty early was creating advisory boards. So we would meet outside early on at seven o'clock. The sun was still, still out early in the fall. And we would sit on the library steps and I'd meet with a group of 15 students who stay with me today. We meet every other Sunday night now to talk about what their experience is. So my role was really to understand how we make meaning of the entrance to the institution, the process of forming as, an, as a community, and then all of the things and services we offer through the residential life programs, through the dining programs, through our administrative touch points, the registration, the financial aid. And so it was really an opportunity to get ongoing in real-time feedback from the students who are living experience. So the, the goal from there was, and it still is, how do I then move to co-creation? Yeah. Like, how do I help the students think about their ability to do things with me and for the institution and for each other? And, and that's the next phase of this co-creation. Yeah. And I absolutely love this advisory board, if you will, that that you're developing with, with students and, and giving them a voice. Because if there's one thing that I have learned about the current college-going generation is if we give them an opportunity and a safe space to express themselves and tell us what they are experiencing, they are all in on doing it, right? Like they will be very honest with you about what the experience is like and what they want going forward. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you created and engaged, because I believe you've done this not only with students, but you've started doing it with parents as well. I had written down that I was going to raise the parents piece. COVID, you know, there's always been that helicopter parent, you know, concept out there uh, for, you know, it's been written in magazines, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. But I think it changed dramatically from the helicopter to, you know, something very different to a co-contributor, uh, so to speak. So mm. it's interesting how parents have really been thrust into the experience of college because for the last period of time since COVID began, in many instances, parents were working from home with their students right across the, the living room doing their work as a student was in class zooming in for high school or college. And I think that's continued in terms of this parent now almost from a distance, you know, whether it be the living room back then to being away from college where they are engaged in this similar experience, but from the lens of their student in a very intense way. I hear it from my colleagues that all the time about how at their institutions, parents are usually the one who is translating the experience 
for the student. And so that has been part of my experience. And so for me at first, I was like, no, my experience says that parents aren't involved and that we as an institution are the ones who interact with the students solely. And after trying to push away from the parents, I've come to realize the important role the parents play now. And so this year, we did a couple of things differently. We created a parents' academy where we offered tools for parents to understand how the university works in certain areas of the institution. We went from the advising, we brought the advising team in, we talked about campus life and student engagement, we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and brought the staff leadership in. And we also talked about mental health and wellness and brought the leadership in and, and student health. And I think it really armed the, the parents with another sense of how the institution works. So that was one. The second is we started a regular newsletter for parents that would go to all parents on a regular basis. And then the last is I created a parent's advisory board. The advisory board has been very helpful to raise issues and, and also for me to push appropriately to parents in educating them about how to gently push their students to advocate for themselves rather than the parents feeling like when something happens, they need to be the one to instigate the raising of hand and saying, this needs to be fixed. Because then we lose the opportunity of learning for the co-creation piece for their student. Yeah, I, I think that's a tremendous point about, you know, being in a position where we're partnering with parents to teach students how to be good self-advocates, how to push, when to push, where to push. And that's that's really, really interesting. I look forward to hearing from other institutions. You know, I love the academy. I love the newsletter and the advisory board. I'll find it interesting to know if other institutions are implementing similar programs to pull parents in. You talked a little bit about kind of being the first in this role and that you've been been trying to, I believe, connect with other CXOs in other industries. I'm really curious to know what lessons you've learned from them. What things are other CXOs doing in other industries that higher education can learn from to improve our, our customer experience, which is really the student experience? I'll briefly tell the story because I think it's an important story. Jeff Salengo, who's a very well-known mm-hmm. uh, journalist Love Jeff. related to, and he's got a great blog and yeah. podcast and so forth, but he gave me a call. He was writing an article for the Washington Street, Wall Street Journal regarding CXOs and knowing that I was the first, he gave me a call. We had a great conversation. And, and one of the things he said to me, he said, so you've been on the role for a few months what did you learn from other industries and other CXOs? And the minute he said it, I hit my head against the wall and said, I can't believe that I didn't reach out to other industries. So as soon as the phone <laughs> call ended, I went on LinkedIn and I started Googling CXO and I reached out to a whole bunch of folks in hospitality, in healthcare, in banking, in museums, in other aspects of education, uh, sports, you name it. And, and, and so and in marketing and communications. And so we created this group to talk about customer experience. And so we, we've had a number of meetings in which we very well facilitated by, I'll give a shout out, Elliot Felix did a great job. And he 
we ask questions to prepare about how do you engage with audience, your customer? How do you assess success? What are the tools that you've used to improve engagement? So we talked a lot about some of the technological tools that were used, customer relation management systems. We talked about ERPs. We talked about how we communicate. What are the messages and the brand messaging? And then we talked about evaluation and how do we assess what we're doing. And so those are some of the things. Knowing who your audience is, and that's where the awakening came from those conversations about parents being a part of my customer base, that I knew they were, but I didn't realize how intricately connected they were at this moment in time. And so that's where those ideas came out for further engagement with parents. And so those are some of the lessons I've learned, but it, it really was a great group to hear about how other industries really think about from an intentional standpoint, really engage who they need to be engaging. The other thing I would throw out was a book that I read, which was really, really helpful. And books can be really, really helpful as you think about what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so Daniel Kahneman had a book called Noise, and it really talks about judgment. He talks about bias as one part of noise, but his book is really about judgment. and The judgment and the variability of judgment of the staff who interact with your customers. And, and so he does studies on insurance companies. And the variance is you know, supposed to be like 10% of one customer service person as it relates to claims compared to another with the same kind of accident that might happen or selling an insurance policy. But they found that the variance was in the upper 30% in, in, these, in these, yeah, these companies. A great read for anybody. And it really talks about uh, how do we supervise, how do we evaluate, and how do we start to understand our organizations and the noise that's created by human beings? And how do we lessen the noise? How do we make the variability of our judgment and how we interact with our clients or our students in a way that is very consistent. And, and so some of those things are those things that have impacted my thinking. And, and one of the projects I'm working on now as a CXO is talking with some faculty members to help us start to understand the variability in how we deliver our services. And so we're going to be looking at that project in the upcoming month and then bring it to all of the units I work with to really bring the judgment, the variability of how we provide our judgment or our responses to students or parents in a way that's really consistent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so important, especially because we're working and dealing with human beings who all come from such different and complex backgrounds that we don't always have visibility to or understanding when we engage with them. So to your point, Figuring out how to remove some of those personal biases from the engagement, really showing up and listening to what the student is saying or the parent, whoever it is that we're engaging with and, and making it a consistent and, and safe experience for them. I look at it a lot. I know you're talking to faculty, but I'm a former financial aid administrator. So I'm thinking about those, those financial conversations that we have with families that can be so personal and so difficult. And to be honest, 
we have we have culturally some individuals who are have just been taught that it's not okay it's it's not okay to talk about finances which makes our jobs kind of difficult in financial aid <laughs> well one of the things that we have instituted we had some great training brought in this year for our admissions team to actually start that conversation about finances rather than hand them off to the financial aid office. And so we have some special programs here. We have some accelerated programs here. And so from a financial standpoint, right, it's really hard to compete as a private institution with state institutions at this moment in time, if you're looking at purely dollar for dollar. But you have to dig a little bit deeper than dollar for dollar. You have to look at size and scope, the size of the school. What are the differentiators that an institution provides that, and again, not saying a public institution doesn't, but private institutions have hopefully some opportunity to differentiate in a way that makes it more uh, appealing to be at. And one of those differentiators here for us is the accelerated programs. So you can get two degrees in four years. So when you start thinking about dollar for dollar, it starts to change a little bit. And then when you have things that are differentiators, like we just went into a partnership with a, with a health organization to give priority hiring for every student in those disciplines and beyond those disciplines. So again, you really have to look at it. And so having the, the admissions counselors know the financial aid information and financial aid inf- need to know how to talk about those differentiators as well. So I will talk just briefly a little bit about the one-stop Yeah, please. Concept. And so it is not a, a new phenomenon, one-stop. University of Minnesota is kind of hailed as the leader of one-stop or in one of the early adopters. It's where you bring different offices together that have administrative interactions with students under one umbrella and cross-trained to be able to answer as many of the administrative questions as possible with students. So, you know, we had an operation called traditional bursar's office. Well, we've transitioned the bursar's office to a one-stop. We moved our parking operation out of public safety into one-stop. We moved the dining administration into one-stop. We moved portion of the registration office into one-stop and one of parts of the, the financial aid in a number of the financial offices responsibilities into one stop so that all of the questions related to, I have a bill and the money that helps pay the bill, the financial aid, other kinds of scholarships, that can be answered in one place. And you start to build a relationship, students start to build a relationship knowing that there's a person who can answer all of their questions or get them to the right place rather than, oh, let me transfer you. Oh, let me transfer you. Oh, across the quad is that office. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've said and, and we've done, you know, we have phenomenal staff in, the, in this operation is that you're not going to transfer anybody and you're not going to send them to another office. You're going to stand, stand there and get the answer. And, and again, the quality of the staff and understanding the importance of answering the questions, wait times are down, phone calls are down, wait queues, in the waiting time, the queues aren't existent. So very different experience now. And again, that is not a knock on the previous way we did it. It's just about continuous improvement and really what students and parents want at the end of the day from the institution. 
Totally. And I have to say, so I have a 13 year old daughter and if your students are anything like my daughter, the moment you sent her across, across the quad to talk to scholarships, like she would be distracted and on her phone and she would never make it to scholarships. (laughs) So I love, I love that idea of just being able to go one place, be able to get the answers. And, and I think what you're saying is it starts to build a trust and a relationship with, between your students and your staff, which is really important in them coming back the next time they have a problem or a question. Absolutely. It's the more you can connect a student to an administrator, to a faculty member, to a peer, the more likely they are going to stay at that institution. And so everybody is a retention ambassador at every institution. And so the more that we can give knowledge to those who interact with our students, the richer and better their institution will be uh, for the student and as an institution will have higher retention rates. There's no which, question. Which is the whole reason we're in higher education. It, is, it's, it doesn't do us any good to get students in the door if we can't get them across the graduation stage. Okay. So that that focus and that, that idea of everybody's job is retention. I love that mantra. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. love it. And I will say one of the things that we are focused on here too is everyone's also an admissions ambassador, mm-hmm. whether it's the person, the cashier in the dining hall, whether it's the, the faculty member who's finished a class and walking down the hallway, or whether it's a residence hall director. We all have that opportunity to make people feel welcomed, to instill a sense of belonging. Belonging is, in, in my opinion, the most important thing a university needs to cultivate for its students. Once I have a sense of belonging, will I most will I likely leave the institution? No, I won't. And so that is what we need to do. And that's why that co-creation verbiage is so important to me, because when I start to create something, I want to see it to finality. And so if I can get our students to co-create what it is we need to be doing, the more shared ownership we have. Well, and that's exactly it. As you're co-creating, you're naturally getting buy-in from students about, about whatever it is that you're, you're, whatever initiative that you're working on, and they feel ownership in that initiative being successful. And so I absolutely love that idea of, of co-creating the experience or improving the, the current experience I think it's amazing. So when we talk about co-creating, it's because something we're doing right now has the opportunity to be improved. So we'll just take it broader than Quinnipiac and just say higher education is doing some amazing things. And we'll talk about where they're hitting the mark in a minute. But I would love to just hear like, what is one place where you think higher ed is really missing the mark on student experience and they need to focus on? One of the the areas I I did mention briefly, it's really focused on two things, right? One is the return on investment. How can we prove that? And there's studies that say, hey, you know, you graduate with a college degree, you're going to make X amount of dollars more. So that, that, that has been proven, right? So But there's something deeper than the money piece for me. 
It's really about reflective skills and what I learn through a university that will help me be a better citizen, a better community member, a better awareness of the difference that exists among us. And not only the recognition, but what do I do with that recognition now that I have it? And, and so at the end of the day, was, did I lead a meaningful life? And, and I think that that's part of what a college can instill if it does its work well, that it's either in the sciences, in the arts, in the humanities, and the social sciences. You understand through a discipline or an interdisciplinary approach, why am I here and what are my gifts and talents that I may take home them and then take them and deliver them as a teacher, as a banker, as a scientist, as an actor, uh, as a doctor, uh, as a nurse. That to me is really the best a university can strive to do and deepening our thinking to action. And and I think it no more true than what's happening in the world today, you know, in Ukraine. But well, hopefully through teaching students about right, wrong, how we harm people, how we build people up, how we support people, that people are are waking up and saying, you know, this is wrong. And and what can we do? Whether it be, we were just watching a, a, tonight we had a, um, a, 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 a teach-in for faculty, took a break and had a, a, a 90-minute symposium with students to talk about uh, what's happening in the world. And, and it really was an opportunity to provide perspective of the past so that we don't make similar mistakes, but also about activation in a way that's thoughtful, reflective, but that will make a difference and an impact in this world. And, and it, it remind, you know, at the end, when I left, I smiled saying, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as an institution of higher education. And that, I think we as a, as a nation and as a world over the last couple of years have really faced situations that have made us reevaluate conversations like that and have brought light to the fact that we need to be thoughtfully engaging and leading conversations like this, especially on our college campuses. And, and so I think, I think it's great that you guys are trying to address some of these issues are very, they're large issues. They're very weighty issues. And we owe it to students to give them a safe space to have these conversations and to teach them how to engage in them productively so that when they have a much smaller challenge in life, you know, whether it's a small conflict as it in you know their personal or their professional life, that they know better how to address and move forward as better citizens, better partners, just all of the way around. So yeah, you, you, you make me think too. Um, how do we engage our staffs who are front facing, like the one stop staff? like the financial aid staff, to engage in these conversations in the well through those interactions, you know, maybe not an in-depth conversation about, hey, the teaching last night, but, you know, um, the check-ins 
uh, as we do from a mental health standpoint, which we haven't even really talked about the mental health piece of this, of what's happening at a college campus, which is exceedingly important for us as, as educators to pay attention to the here and, and a now. whole episode in itself, like yeah, yeah. mental health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how do we have our staff engage uh, in these, in these conversations to, to, it's not only about the engagement with the student, but it's also for the staff to be engaged in these conversations as well for themselves. Right. Yeah. I, I look at every staff member as an educator not as a transactor. I'm, I'm transacting something. Well, yeah, but you're an educator. You know, you, financial aid, one stop. Financial literacy is something so critically important for our students to learn while they're in college, if not before. And, and how through these conversations about looking at my finances, can our one-stop people, our financial aid people, our admissions staff have those conversations with our students so that the students understand the investment that they're making in their own education. Yeah. And I do think that I feel like I personally have learned a lot about engaging in difficult and uncomfortable conversations over the last two to three years, but, but you're right. We do have a responsibility to ensure that employees have the necessary tools and guidance, and they know that it's okay. It's okay to care. It, you know, and actually we should care and we should show empathy and understanding the, the backgrounds that students and families come from, not making assumptions about experiences it is really, really important and something, something I strive for, right? Like there's some old guard in financial aid that they don't think that anybody makes a mistake. They think everybody's trying to scam the federal government, right? And you just want to be like, listen, they probably just made a mistake. Like they, right. they, they clearly moved the decimal point. <laughs> and so I think there's, there's just so much that we can, we can continue to do. And I'm glad that, that you guys are actively embracing that and having those conversations. I think I think it's great. And it's going to make your students more open to, to coming forward and talking to you. All right. One last question. I'm picking from my massive list. What do you think the most common misperception about improving the student experiences? Well, I, I think that for the student experiences, it, it's really a process uh, and, and not necessarily a product or a thing that can be done immediately. Um, you know, as I think about my role, I really think about being a sociologist in many ways to understand human behavior. I've hired a student to be really looking at the ROI of this position. And so I had him read The Tipping Point, I had him read Noise, and I had him read Conan's other book, Think Fast and Slow, really talking as a behavioral economist. And so what can the university optimize this role, me being the person in this role, but the role itself, where should I be spending time? And so a couple of things nuanced in this particular role is I live in the residence halls with our students. That, that's not something that a lot of high level administration at an institution does. Yes, there are presidents who live on campus. I live in the residence halls. Last semester, I taught a first year seminar course. It was important for me to see the multiple dimensions of the experience and actually walk and live the experience. Now, I'm living it 
30 years differently than the students who are living it, right? But yet at 5.30, when I go out for my walk on campus, like I did this morning, I'm seeing certain things. I'm seeing what's happening, how the waking of the campus happens. I go to the athletic events. I go to the theater events. I go to, so I'm, I'm trying to immerse myself in every way, shape and form to be able to understand the Quinnipiac experience as much and as in depth I can. And as I tell students, I won't go to anything I'm not invited to. I think it'd be really creepy for this older administrator just walking into a residence hall and saying, here I am. <laughs> so we've set the, the ground rules that way. Like, I'm not going there, but invite me and I'll go because I want entree to see what you want me to see and, the, and experience it. So those are important. You know, I, I've had the opportunity my short time here to do community service with the fraternities and sororities. I had the hockey team, sixth ranked team in the United States right now, division one. We had a Thanksgiving dinner, a lunch with them, just my wife and I and the team. And so those are the things that help inform my knowledge so I can make better decisions and can represent what the student experience is and what the student experience can be based on what students are saying and doing. So what I heard in my very simplistic mind is that our listeners need to not make assumptions about what the student experience is, and they need to engage in it themselves to truly understand what our students are experiencing. I would challenge anybody who works at a college or university to shop the institution and apply for admissions, apply for financial aid. Like how easy is that process? How easy is it to get a basic question answered, you know, about a scholarship, about a financial aid offer for, for students and, and to really understand what they're experiencing. And as you talked about before, listen to them, engage with advisory boards and with student feedback. I actually lied because I now have two more questions. Oh, good. (laughs) As a tech company, we focus really strongly on what is called net promoter score, right? Which is a very simple question. It's a one to 10 and it asks our clients, how likely are you to recommend campus logic to someone else? And it's a simple one through 10, right? And anything seven through 10 is a promoter. Anything, I think uh, it's like three to seven is neutral, or maybe it's lower than that. And then everything lower, right, is a detractor. Everything below a five is a detractor. Have you heard of colleges trying to evaluate with students utilizing a net promoter score in any way? Do you think it would work? Yeah, I can't say exactly. I've heard of institutions doing exactly that, but I have heard of some institutions using technology to help drive student issues. So for instance, where I worked previously, we would put some questions out, like let's just give an example. What would be the top issue? How would we be a better institution committed to sustainability? So students would put up a point and then you could upvote or downvote. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so I see that happen. And I think that can help give a score, so to speak, in a different way mm-hmm. of what's important to students. 
or what's important issues for students yeah. or faculty or staff. But I haven't seen what you're describing before, though I think there's some real validity to it. Yeah, very much so. I was just curious if if anybody was doing it. So if listeners are interested in connecting with you, what's the best way for them to find you or engage you besides the quad at 530? <laughs> <laughs> On Tuesday mornings at 530. Tuesday. Other days, usually it's six, but it, it's going to the gym. There's a couple of ways. One is certainly drop me an email at CXO at QU. Dot edu. That's my email address. I'm also on Instagram, CXO at QU.edu. And the other thing I would certainly offer to your listeners, and certainly something that Canvas Logic is interested in doing, I was the keynote speaker for the Institute for Student Services and Professionals in November, which is the one stop group, right? And so one of the things I offered after the keynote was a learning community or a community engagement conversation. And we had a go- number of folks show up. And what I'm finding, you know, certainly through COVID and with budget cuts that will be continuing, I'm sure, for travel, yeah. is how do we engage with a smaller group of people in a series of questions that you send out in advance? And so I would be happy to engage with a group of, of staff uh, through Campus Logic or, or other elsewhere to talk about a topic as it relates to the student engagement and student experience and what people are doing. I find sharing best practices can be really, really, really valuable for folks or the ideas of best practice you haven't tried yet, just like you just shared with with the scoring piece to say, yeah, what do you think? Those can be, those are very, very helpful for me, just as the CXO group that I had was so helpful to me, right? A a chance to have informal conversation, and it's very much tight. It's an hour conversation. I think those kind of opportunities might be something that would be really worthwhile to have an hour uh, evening uh, conversation or at late afternoon conversation about dreaming about how to make the student experience better. Yeah, I love it. I am totally game. And now that you've given me your email address and your Instagram, I'm going to be all over that. I love that idea. We will make sure to provide that information in the show notes as well. And I have just had so much fun talking to you. The last 45 minutes have flown by. So I know our audience is going to love this as well. If you enjoyed today's show, the best way to show your support is to follow, like, or add a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also consider sharing this episode with your network to keep the conversation going. If you're looking for more ways to engage and join the conversation, consider joining the Student Financial Success Slack community, LinkedIn group, or tagging content with the hashtag student financial success. I'm always looking for feedback, questions, and topic suggestions, so please reach out. My contact information, as always, is available in the show notes.